following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Good morning. I had a dream actually that I was uh, singing on stage this morning, not in key, so hopefully that won't come to fruition. Um, So as Ruben shared, uh, we've been looking at different images for the cross, different spaces or ways we can understand what Jesus did. And at the same time, I've been exploring these themes at youth group on Wednesday nights uh, and also out in Grapple, our intermediates program, which runs now. So I thought I would share with you a little bit about how we've been interpreting these themes, um, interestingly. So to lead us into the first discussion a couple of Sundays ago um, on the Wednesday night on the slave market, if you remember, and our costliness, sort of how much we are worth to Jesus, we did this exercise on Trade Me. And I decided to give each small group a $10 limit and they had to go into Trade Me and find things that they would buy with that $10 limit. So if they wanted, they could buy one thing that cost $10, or they could buy two that added up to 10. So one group decided super spiritually to buy a Bible that they could then read and give away, perhaps, to somebody who needed it. Um, Another group wanted to replace some of the blown light bulbs that we've got in the hub. Um, So that was quite a lofty, uh, yeah, uh, a lofty aim. Um, But two of the groups decided that they wanted to buy living things. I feel like I definitely said not to buy anything that was alive, but apparently this wasn't heard until after the buy now had been hit. Um, So one group purchased um, a grapevine plant, which is currently living, it's not actually planted yet, but it's living at my house. Um, Apparently in a year's time we'll grow grapes. Maybe I'll turn it into alcohol for the young people. Just kidding, (laughs) kidding kidding. Um, and another group decided to buy a catfish. Yep. So, yep. Um, the catfish turned quickly into two catfish, not because they breed yet. <laughs> they will, though, I'm sure. But because the, the seller on Tradebee decided to give me two of them. So they're only, you can see just down by the little red plant, there's one stuck onto the, onto the wall. Um, I've named them Kim and Kanye. So they're our official youth group mascots at this stage. Here's the other one, friendly. The lady at the pet shop, when I took them in, um, was like, oh, they're so cute. I was like, would we say cute? I mean, you can't cuddle that, can you? So anyway, um, but apparently they need uh, warm water, so I couldn't just keep them in the Tupperware container that I was planning on it. Um, So they've turned out to be a bit more costly than their $10. Um, I could blame certain leaders for this, but I should probably take the responsibility for myself. Um, so being, you know, trying to be creative and cool does just gain you a catfish in life, really. Um, so we've in, we have a cafe at youth group. The kids can buy M&Ms and cans of Coke and stuff, and so everything in there has increased in price a little bit, just to account for the habitat that I've had to provide for the catfish. Um, yep, so that's, they're living at my house. If they take up a lot of power, then they'll be going down the toilet. <laughs> Off into the world, into the wide world. Um, so then, and last week, we talked about the battlefield, you'll remember. Um, and so I got them 
um, at youth group creating their own weapons out of different crafty items that I found in the hub. Um, and then at the same time, I was giving them different powers or obstacles that they had to overcome. So these were different um, problems or issues that they had to come up with a solution for. So about different powers like poverty, oppression, racism, um, but they were all in really practical scenarios that they might actually encounter at school or with their family or whatever. So they had to um, deal with these problems, come up with a solution, and then I would give them points. Now, I know that's not how it works in the real, in the real world. You don't get points um, for how you deal with life, but that was part of the game. And then we played capture the flag to finish the night. So this was some of them with their weapons, um, and then we were playing capture the flag across the room, um, and that also gained them points. So it was lots of fun. Um, it's good to be, you know, try and be creative about these things. Good to give them a launching pad to head off into the small group discussions about the different themes. When we talk about the um, courtroom in a few weeks' time, I'm quite keen to have like a simulated court case going on. So if any of you have a law background, I'd love some ideas. Um, and when we do the altar scene, I'm thinking of sacrificing a teenager. So. <laughs> If you'd like to offer yours, let me know. I've got some in mind, but you could, you could definitely suggest your one. Um, so we have looked at the slave market and the battlefield, and today we look at the family. And we look at the cross through this lens of reconciliation, and we hear just um, the lengths to what Jesus has gone to to be reunited with us. So let's read together from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, and his flesh he has made both groups into one, and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So we hear in this passage about this sense of being reconciled to Christ, being made into a family. And this implies that we were once in a previous state. We were once far off. But something has changed, and this is the definition of reconciliation, that there was once a friendship, a closeness, but then something has happened, there's been a fight, um, a distance that has been caused, and then to reconcile means to bring something back together to create that friendship and closeness again. So the root cause of this disagreement, this fight, has to be dealt with in order for us to move forward. So we know in this passage that this means Jesus came and proclaimed peace, but what does that actually look like? Um, so let's look back and track this big story through this image of the family. 
So we started uh, as a creation that has closeness and friendship with God. Um, the Garden of Eden, this is us in Lego form. Um, I didn't create this in my spare time, this is somebody else's time-wasting activity. Um, the Garden of Eden is the place where God walked with Adam and Eve, and there was um, intimacy and harmony. So we were his created beings, loved and cherished and close to the Father. There was purpose, there were jobs and roles and work, um, but everything was with a right relationship with God, our creator. There was family, as it was meant to be, and freedom. But unfortunately, as we know, this freedom doesn't last long. So then the fight comes when the created beings decided that they want their own way rather than the way of God. So this family splits or divorces or divides. So the quarrel resulted in us being removed from that closeness of God presence, still being looked after but removed from the safety of the garden. So that first decision to go our own way as humanity has been echoed down through all of creation. We could look at the Israelites turning from God and towards idols. We could look at individuals like the psalmist David who turned from God and chose his own desires. Prophets who needed to speak to sinful nations um, about how they were ignoring God. And then of course we know our own sinfulness, not necessarily always just doing the wrong thing, but a sort of selfishness of our own hearts. So there is beginning this fragmentation in the family. We can come to God, but it took sacrifices and deeds and work. And even then, we seem to not fully trust him and go off and do our own thing. So sin has obstructed God's purposes for us, and it makes us less than human, less than what we're meant to be. We're not the best that we can be because we're not in the right place with our friend, our father, our God. So then how are we to make friends with God again? How are we to make up from this fight to be reconciled again? Is it enough to just work hard? Is it enough to do more good deeds, to be a nice person and sacrifice ourselves in order to be good enough? Reconciliation, we discover, of this scope requires much more than us trying to make up for it, saying sorry enough times, trying harder. So what will it take to be a family again? Now recently I've been captivated by this series on TV One called Lockdown. Has anyone been watching it? Not admitting to it. Um, it's about maximum security prisons in the US and um, the prisons that really house sort of the worst criminals, they're quite dangerous places. And um, one week they had a story about a prisoner who had been invited to have a mediation session with the mother of the man that he had killed. So a few years ago, he'd killed somebody in a drug deal gone wrong, and this mother had, in her own um, healing process, I guess, wanted to meet with this man and talk to him. And the prisoner was actually like a leader of one of the gangs in the prison, so he was really staunch and had a lot of sort of followers and a lot of influence in the prison. But then as this date came closer and closer for him to meet with this mother, you could see that he was getting more and more anxious and feeling really insecure about what was going to happen. He said he didn't know what he would say if this lady asked him why he had done it, um, and he just didn't know 
what it was going to be like. So he walks into this room where there's this little old lady there and she reads this letter to him that she'd written um, about her son and how much he had meant to her and what he had done in taking his life um, from her. And then they engage in a bit of a conversation. She asks this prisoner if he has children himself and he says he does. And she says, you know, how would you feel if your son follows in the same path as you? And that did seem to make him sort of stop and think. Um, And the conversation was drawing to a close and the prisoner started to say, you know, he wishes he could take back what he did and he didn't expect that this lady could forgive him. And the lady stopped him straight away and said, I've already forgiven you um, a long time ago, not... um, not what you did or not how you hurt me, but I've forgiven you as a person and that was part of her healing process. And he didn't really know what to say. And then this little lady, she stood up and she offered out her hand to him to shake. And this guy was like flawed. Um, Here was this person who had had somebody really precious to her taken, you know, by him in a horrible situation. And she was extending her hand to him to shake, you know, human being to human being, um, created and loved person to another. Um, He shook his hand and then you saw him walking back to his cell um, later in the episode, you know, deep in thought and we're never probably going to know whether that changed something in him, you know, did that make him think differently about how he wanted to live and how he wanted to get out and raise his son and, you know, change his circumstances. Um, you'd hope that that would have that sort of effect on him. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was lost in, in time and, and the moment has passed. But just this image of this woman extending her hand to her son's killer um, was one that really stuck with me. And watching it reminded me of reconciliation because for that woman it meant confronting her enemy. But it was an enemy that she had forgiven and that she really wished the best for. She wished for this man to better his life um, and to come through it. So it might not have been received by him, um, but it was certainly offered. Reconciliation was definitely offered. She stretched out her hand to him. So reconciliation for God took him sending his own son to die. Jesus took upon his own body all of our sins and the messy, horrible things that we do, putting to death that hostility between us in his own person. So he experienced what it was like to be in a situation where God didn't rescue him. He felt far from God. He felt alone. God wasn't coming through for him in that moment on the cross. He felt far off, like we read in Ephesians, so that we can feel near So we can never say that he didn't know what we are going through when we feel lonely or scared. God reconciled us to himself by giving a part of himself to absorb our sins. But then he didn't just leave Jesus dead, which is the amazingness of Easter. He resurrected his son to life again. So when everybody thought that the story was over, when the disciples had retreated and given up hope, when no one thought that the family would ever get back together again, when there was no hope, it seemed, of reuniting, then God surprised humanity with this twist in the story, a reunion of his own, 
and he brought us near. So God stretched out his hand to humanity, and he still stretches it out. And it reminds me a bit of the creation of Adam painting um, of Michelangelo's in the Sistine Chapel. And I know that the painting is meant to represent God creating um, Adam, but it seems to still be an image that um, can move into this space as well, because God continues to stretch out his hand with sort of full force behind him, you know, he's really surging towards us. And often I think we take on the posture of Adam, who's kind of laid back, but apathetic about it, really, um, not, not moving forward to God with all of his might at all. And I think we sometimes take on that, that position. So God gives his reconciliation to a humanity that mainly ignores it, mainly refuses to shake his hand, turns away and continues to live despite him. But regardless, this, host- this hostility between us has been put to death. He did this in order for us to have closeness with him because it was worth it, because we were worth it. And we still are worth it. It's not conditional on us being good enough um, or succeeding, winning at life, becoming an all black, like Andrew was saying. It was as we are now. It was to bring access to the Father. This ultimate goal of reconciliation that we read in Ephesians is to have a return to this right access to the Father, to come close to God. And if you've got family overseas or even in different parts of New Zealand, then you know that having somebody close and with you is very different to having somebody far away. It's one thing to be calling, you know, emailing, Skyping people, but to have somebody close and with you, engaging, laughing, sharing life together. That's quite a different experience. And so through Christ, this access to the Father has taken on this family aspect. So we can approach him, like the Bible talks about, and call him Abba, Father, which is the closest of terms. It's like a nickname that you would only have for somebody, or it's like calling somebody Mummy or Daddy. It's that close. And we get to do that. And we don't just imitate Jesus who did that, but we have been adopted into the family, and so we can approach God and say, Abba, Father, because we have this identification with Christ. We are adopted in. It's that close. And so within this family, the passage talks about how it doesn't matter if we are Jew or Gentile, which would have been quite important to the hearers of the day. doesn't maybe have the same meaning for us now, but It would be like us saying, it doesn't matter if you've been raised a Christian or if you're a new convert. Um, It doesn't matter if you have four degrees in theology or if you're just reading Christianity for dummies and you're still struggling with that. It doesn't matter if you know all of the lingo and you know the right names to drop into a conversation or if you don't know what WWJD stands for or who DC Talk are. It doesn't matter those things. It doesn't even matter if you were here at 7 a.m. this morning or if you're on staff at church or if you've just come along today for the first time and this is your first time in church. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction within his family. There is God and us, family, adopted in. Ephesians says that we are no longer strangers or aliens. We can get rid of those words. But citizens, members, part of the household, part of the family. So this closeness has been regained. We long and we wait for the day when this will be in full 
and when there'll be no barrier at all between God and us, when we'll be in his presence, creation will be redeemed, we will be redeemed fully as it was intended. So we wait for that day, but in the meantime, this fight has been resolved, and we experience, in part, reconciliation. But what does it mean? How does this actually influence us at all? Um, I remember a few years ago, there was, we went through a bit of a hard time as a family. My brother was leaving home, um, and there was a bit of distance, I guess, between him and my parents when he decided to leave home. And for a few years there, I was quite bitter towards him for that because it really upset my mum, and I was at home with her. He was in another city and then another country, and so he didn't sort of have to experience um, what she was going through, but... I could see how upset she was and what it did to her. And so I felt quite bitter towards him. We didn't have sort of a great relationship at the time, and I really held it against him um, and didn't sort of make an effort to patch that up because I thought that I was in the right and, you know, he was in the wrong. Um, And then a few years later, I remember at a camp, we were encouraged to um, write uh, words to people that we would want or need to say if we didn't have any opportunity um, to say anything to anybody else again, what would we sort of need to be said, like what would, what's left to say. And so I wrote this letter to my brother, um, which was going to be easier than having, you know, a conversation about it with him. I didn't know how he would take it, but anyway, I wrote it down, and then the next time he was in town, I gave it to him, and he was about to fly out, and so he took it and read it on the plane. And I think he acknowledged that he got it and that he read it, and he sort of said thank you, but we've never sort of talked about it, but since then our relationship has gotten a lot better and um, we're fairly close now. So it didn't necessarily take us having to sit down across a table and really talk about our feelings and how we both uh, felt about it, but it was something that I knew I needed to do to improve that relationship and move forward. And the crazy thing about reconciliation that we discover is that it's something that's been done for us, but now it's something that we do with God for other people. So it's something that we have received, reconciliation, but now we offer it, the ministry of reconciliation, to other people. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it's an extra responsibility, I guess, but it's, it's also a joy and a treat because we have been given this closeness within a family, and now we can extend that to other people. So we participate in this, and throughout that passage in Ephesians, we we see that Christ is at the center of reconciliation, so it's him that has brought us to God through his death. So likewise, when we create reconciliation or try to form reconciliation with other people, we need to draw on him for strength, because I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't want to do it by myself, Um, and I wouldn't necessarily want to have that desire of being right and reconciled again, but To have Jesus to go to as our strength is what gives us the momentum um, and the encouragement to keep going and to keep striving for those right relationships. The lady in that documentary about the prison, she said that she was able to forgive her son's killer because she had done so with God's help, uh, which would have been huge, as we can only imagine. So maybe for you there's a work situation that has gotten bitter or competitive or tense um, or just misunderstood, fragmented in some way. Or maybe there's a family member and there's been a disagreement or 
fight or feud. Or maybe there's a friend or an ex-friend that a long time ago you and them had some sort of issue and you tell yourself now that it's fine and you're over it, you know this happened however many years ago and it doesn't affect you anymore but you still care and you still think about it and you know if you see their name or see them out in the supermarket you know you'd avoid them, you'd pop into the next aisle so maybe there's still something there um, for you. So we have been reunited with God the Father through Christ's death on the cross. So we offer this ministry of reconciliation to others. So maybe for you there's situations where you need to draw on Christ's help to right those relationships. Maybe it's not healthy for you to engage with this person face to face. There's another relationship that I can think of in my own life where it wouldn't be helpful to sit across from this person and talk about the issues. So it's something that I reconcile within myself between me and God. So it doesn't necessarily mean for you that you have to sit across from somebody and air these hurts and issues and grievances. But you will know where Jesus needs to be helping you um, to give you the courage to make that uh, conversation happen if it needs to or that reconciliation happen in your heart. So we have been offered this ministry of reconciliation and Today, as we, as we close, I want to pray that we will have the courage but also the openness to receive God's help um, as we minister this reconciliation to those people around us. And we can only do it with him. Um, so let's pray. God, thank you for the family that has been created through what your son did on the cross. Thank you that we have been adopted in and God, it, it scares us maybe now that there's a relationship in our own lives that we need to reconcile and bring before you. And so I ask for strength and courage and your grace to help us to do that. Where we need an extra amount of support and discerning this week as we engage with these issues, um, I ask for that. And I pray, God, that we would only do these things in your strength and with your power. But God, thank you for drawing us near, we who were once far off. Thank you for the work that you did in your son to bring us close to you. And we are so, so grateful to be part of your family. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.